Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know you're in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Listen up. This is a good one. This is a phrase that was overheard at the 2014 Social Innovation Summit. I've already given you a clue about what we're talking about today. Quote, innovation doesn't equal social good, but social good can be accelerated by innovation provided that purpose is at the heart of that innovation. Wow, is that a packed phrase there. So we've got a lot to unpack here. So question on the table. Can doing good using social innovation be good for your company's bottom line? Come on, you know, stakeholders, shareholders, employees, everybody needs you successful. you got to pay people. you got to give dividends. It's important to stay alive. So money has to enter the equation. Is social good going to get you there? We think the answer is yes. What's going on in the worldwide community? For-profit companies are finding solutions to social and environmental issues, often by collaborating with government, business, and nonprofits. I see collaboration here. I see co-innovation here. What is the role of technology? Is it part of this? We think it's yes. How and where? We're about to find out. I have a panel of three experts from all over the place, very interesting backgrounds, quite, quite a panel. Let me tell you who they are before we speak to them and give you an idea of what kind of expertise we're going to be tapping into today. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Hubert Yoshida. He lets me call him Hugh. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Hitachi Ventara. Very happy to have him here. Joining him is Karen Underwood. She's a first-year MBA student at Stanford Graduate School of Business, known as the Stanford GSB. Got to get those right. And rounding out the panel is Katie Morgan Booth. She leads Corporate Social Responsibility for SAP North America. I told you it's a great panel. So first up, let's talk to Hugh Yoshida. Hugh has sent me an interesting quote from Ray Kurzweil. We haven't had a quote from Kurzweil in a long time. Uh, He was born in 1948. I call him a young guy. American author, computer scientist, inventor, and futurist. And let me just tell you a few of the things Kurzweil was the principal inventor for. You may be surprised. He co-invented or principally co-invented the first charge-coupled device flatbed scanner. Come on, you all remember flatbed scanners. Well, maybe you're not Maybe you're not old enough, but a lot of us are. He invented the Omnifont Optical Character Recognition. We used to call that OCR. The first print-to-speech reading machine for the blind. The first commercial text-to-speech synthesizer and a music synthesizer called the Kurzweil K250, etc., etc., etc. And he's also an author of seven books, five of which are natural, national bestsellers. Here is the quote Hugh has selected from Ray Kurzweil. Quote, a kid in Africa with a smartphone has access to more information than the president of the U.S. did 15 years ago. Hugh Yoshida, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Very fine. Thank you for having me. 
We're delighted to have you. I know you're a busy guy. We're actually honored to have the CTO of Hitachi Ventara on the panel. You Now tell me, are you a follower, a fan, a reader of Kurzweil? And how in the world did you find this fascinating quote? Talk to me. Well, yeah, I'm a, a fan of uh, Ray. I mean, he has uh, been quoted many times. Uh, and, and he always has a very interesting way of expressing it in terms of relating it to, to you know, everyday life. So tell me about, we're, ta- we're talking about social innovation here, and obviously Kurzweil is a major innovator, Hugh. He's somebody who never stopped at, no, it can't be done, or what? He always just went out and did it, it looks like. He wrote about it, he thought, he made things happen. So how does this relate to our topic today, the kid in Africa with a smartphone and social innovation? Give me a little, little meat here. Yes, well, um, actually, he he was quoted by Time Magazine several years ago making the statement, and I think he was on several uh, television shows also making the statement, uh, which is is kind of, actually, he was referring to the Clinton era at that time, but now I think move it up a couple years, maybe the 15 years is too long. I think they Mm -hmm. almost have within five years, maybe even shorter, the same information that that President Obama had, or or maybe even President Trump, but it is a statement about you know the acceleration of information, okay, the ubiquity of things like mobile phones, smartphones, but it's also unfortunately a statement that points out some uh, glaring uh, differences. In other words, that child in Africa with a smartphone is not going to have the same opportunities as a child in Silicon Valley or in Tokyo or London because the social infrastructure is not there to support him. So social, the key thing about social innovation is that we need to make this more of a balanced playing field. I mean, all the technology in the world is not uh, going to help us uh, across the world unless we, we can uh, make it available to everybody. Thank you, Hugh. So, so in my opening, I said that social good can help companies with their bottom line. We know they need to make a profit to stay in business or at least enough to survive. Do you agree that that's, gonna, that's the way it is, that it's a good thing to do good and it leads to a better bottom line, Hugh? Sure, I, I believe that. I mean, you might say, well, uh, how much uh, profit can you make in Africa by building mm-hmm. social innovation there? I think there is a, Africa is, is probably the last frontier in terms of marketing. I mean, there is a rising middle class there, and if we can be there at the beginning, uh, helping with social innovation, I think we can open up new markets, and that will lead to profits, which will Thank then you. be able to reinvest in other social innovation projects. Thank you, Hugh. Great insights. And again, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Going to have a lot more from you during the roundtable. And now let's introduce our second guest, Karen Underwood, first-year MBA student at Stanford Graduate School of Business. And Karen looked far and wide, but not too far when she was looking for a quote (laughs) for today's show. She looked at the cornerstone engraving at the Knight Management Center, Stanford Graduate School of Business, which opened in March 2011. And here is the engraving. It's quite famous, and there photos of it all over the internet. Here we go. Dedicated to the things that haven't happened yet and the people who are about to dream them up. Dot, dot, dot. I want to make sure we got the dot, 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 the ellipsis in there. Karen Underwood, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. It's great to be here. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. 
Good. I love the quote. I, I, I found it so intriguing that you just walked up to the building and said, hey, that's a really great quote. I think I'll send them that. And I love it. So what does this mean to you in terms of, well, you're a graduate student there, not only what you are doing with your life and with your studies, but what are your thoughts on some of the information Hugh Yoshida at Hitachi Ventara just shared with us about the bottom line and social innovation and social good? What's your thought? Yeah, I, I chose this quote because I think it, it relates closely to the topic that we're talking about today, and it really also represents the ethos that exists at the Stanford Business School, the Graduate School of Business. And I think there's two pieces of it that stand out to me. The first is the ideas that haven't happened yet, and so that is all about, as business school students, when we have these two years to imagine and think about what we want our future to be, what is the world that we want to see? What is the world that we want to exist, and how do we work towards that? And I think that social innovation is so integrated with that for a huge number of my classmates. And thinking about choosing careers that have both create, um, a, create allow them to do well, but also allow them to have a purpose in the work that they do, and moving towards sector like sectors like energy and education, and I see that all the time. And then the second one is the people that uh, have it that are about to dream them up, and I think. That, for me, is getting to bring to this campus a range of diverse perspectives from all over the world who have had business experience in a number of different companies and a huge range of industries, and then bringing that together and seeing what happens when we bring those diverse perspectives into the business environment. And so it really um, is an inspiring quote for me because it keeps me focused on what is that future and how do we as students think about uh, going into, back into the business world with this really positive mindset of let's create that world. Thank you. That, that's so uplifting, Karen. It's so nice to hear that. I, I'm going to say young people, but I know Graduate School of Business, you probably have a wide range of ages there. Am I right? Not just people yes. in their 20s? Yep. There's, there's a wide range, um, and there's also an executive education program. Um, I would also say I'm at the end of my first year, so check back in with me at the end of my second year. <laughs> I will. Well, you'll, you'll be older and wiser. Karen, yeah. do, do you think this is something that attracts students with a dream, students who want to become entrepreneurs, students who say, this is the place for me because they're telling me it's okay to dream about it, to think of things that haven't happened yet, and they're going to open up my mind to this concept of innovation and then, of course, leading to the path of social innovation, social good. Do you think this is exciting and why people apply there? Karen? I think it has a huge impact on why people choose to apply to the school. I think that no matter what you end up doing and whatever role you're in, being able to take that higher level view and really think critically about the world that you want to see in the future uh, really makes you better prepared for any job that you go into. And so I definitely see students all the time reaching out to me about the school and then also students who come and say, yeah, these the conversations about social innovation and the conversations about how business does good are the types of conversations that I want to have in my graduate school program. And that's a really unique feature of the Stanford GSB. Thank you very much. Pleasure to know you. And now let's turn to our third panelist, Katie Morgan Booth. She leads CSR, Hello. that's Corporate Social Responsibility. Hi, Katie. And Katie has sent us a wonderful quote, a, a life-changing quote. Martin Luther King Jr., this was part one of actually there are five, I'm told, five very memorable quotes from what turned out to be his final speech. Of course, he didn't know that before his assassination. He gave this on April 3rd, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was assassinated. 
assassinated the following day. He was actually addressing a strike of sanitation workers in Memphis. Very interesting. The speech lasted more than 40 minutes and has been called, I've been to the mountaintop. Very interesting. It also, Katie, I don't know if you know this, but the commentary says it shed light on the increasing threats to his life and his state of mind the night before he was killed. So here is the quote. It's a long one, but listen up, everyone. The question is not, if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? I'm getting goosebumps. Katie Morgan Booth, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you, too. So talk to me. How did you pick this quote? So interesting on our topic of social good and social innovation. Talk to me. Yeah. So in March, my wife and I took a civil rights road trip through the South. So we went through Atlanta, Mississippi, Memphis, Birmingham. And along the way, we listened to podcasts and we actually listened to speeches. So um, our one of our stops was the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, where it's actually the site of the Martin Luther King assassination. It's an incredible museum to ever get a chance to go. Um, on that road trip, that drive from Memphis to Birmingham, we actually listened in full to the speech, Bonnie. Um, mm. It was incredibly powerful. In addition to it being uplifting and inspiring, it was also sort of a eulogy, which you mentioned. Um, so I thought that this was really interesting and wanted to bring it back to the social innovation topic because I think that there's a lot we can learn from history and from great civil rights leaders, right? Uh, they were deeply challenging the status quo. And that really resonates with me when I think about social innovation and when I think about the business world. Um, it's a really powerful question to ask not only how our innovations, especially the acceleration that's been mentioned, how it affects us, because we're often quite shielded and protected if we're a part of the change and we're in the business world. But I think it's really powerful and important to also ask what happens if we don't bring everybody Mm -hmm. along with us and what happens if we aren't thinking about how this affects them. Um, And I thought that this was just a quote that really resonated with me and it's really fresh in my mind, (laughs) this speech specifically. Sounds like quite an interesting trip. I'm, I'm glad you share that. Katie, in your role as the lead of SAP North America CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, do you find pushback from people? Maybe I'm not talking specifically about SAP, but companies you come in contact with uh, saying, well, that's a great idea, but how are we going to make money off of it? Do you hear that a lot? Do you hear it often? Do you hear it ever? We need a reality check here. Yeah, I do hear it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that the challenge comes from companies saying, oh, I have a corporate social responsibility team or campaign, so I'm checking the box. So they, they sometimes are challenged because people say, well, that doesn't negate your core business, right? And if your core business is doing good, then do you even need a corporate social responsibility team? Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of the discussion that I hear happening a lot. Um, So those kinds of things do come up. I think also when you work at massive companies, it's different than when you work at a really small startup, the kind of flexibility you can have with embedding, you know, social change and positive social change into your core work. 
Thank you very much, Katie. And now it's time for us to circle around back to you, Yoshida at Hitachi and Tara and find out, Ventara, and find three things from you. You, number one, where are you calling from? Number two, what are you drinking right now? If it's interesting, if not, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that powers you in your very powerful and very important job at Hitachi Ventara? And number three, what does Hitachi Ventara do? So, Hugh, it's all yours. Okay, I'm calling from Herndon, Virginia. Um, uh, my regular place of employment is in Santa Clara, California, but I'm out here enjoying a, a bit of vacation. So the uh, second question is, what's in my cup? My, my favorite drink is German beer, and I wake up in the morning with a bottle of beer, and usually my last drink before I go to bed is a bottle of beer. Uh, actually, these German beers are non-alcoholic beers. Okay, they're rich in polyphenols and antioxidants, without mm-hmm. the fattening effects of alcohol. So it's really a health drink, the ultimate health drink. And, um, uh, you know, if you, you, <laughs> it's German beer because I think the Germans have perfected the art of beering, brewing uh, 0.0 beer. Um, you, there's other al- non-alcoholic beers on the market, but they're not really 0.0. And they do it without losing the taste and health benefits of beer. So I think in Germany, I think non-alcoholic Beer outsells uh, health drinks uh, because uh, they've refined it to an art. And so it's my favorite drink. It's healthy for me. It's good for me, and it helps invigorate me. It uh, prevents me from catching colds uh, because of uh, the uh, uh, antioxidants. Um, so um, right now it's an Erdinger, but you can, you can get uh, Bitburger from Whole Foods. So that's my favorite drink. It's, I think it's uh, good for me, and it's... Uh, Helps me, um, you know, be, be uh, alert and uh, at work. <clears throat> I, I love it. This, I never expected that from you. You, that's amazing. Now, tell me what you do at Hitachi Ventara, and what does Hitachi Ventara do these days? Okay, well, Hitachi Ventara is is actually a very young company. We were uh, organized in September of last year, and what it is is a uh, portions of Hitachi Limited uh, that combined what was the old Hitachi data systems, the IT part of uh, mm-hmm. Hitachi, plus a group called Pentaho that was did the analytics and data uh, um, data integration, plus a group that was just formed to address IoT, the Internet of Things, that we called Insight. And the realization was that, you know, if we're going to um, fully address the Internet of Things, we need to combine IT and OT, which is from the Insights Group, where you have the Mm -hmm. expertise around the industries, and you need analytics in the integration of that data. So that was was the formation of Hitachi Vantara. Um, We are now forming our own corporate culture. We're... Part of a, a 115-year-old company, so or it's 118-year-old company. So we have long roots in um, the Hitachi um, uh, parent company, um, and that uh, Hitachi has always been, you know, because it started as a company in a, in a small island nation with not much resources. Uh, it was it's very environmentally conscious, uh, very attuned to social innovation. So um, we're very happy to be uh, integrating this and uh, putting a greater focus on addressing the Internet of Things. 
that will be a tremendous boost to social innovation in terms of uh, creating new solutions and innovative new solutions. Thank you, Hugh. Fascinating. I appreciate your taking the time to tell us all of that. And I'm still uh, still tingling from your beer story. I love that. I've, I've had a cold. I think I need to know what I need to buy when I go to the grocery store after the show today. Thank you. Karen Underwood, where are you today? And what are you focusing your studies on? I think we already know a little bit more about that. And what drink powers you to do what you do? Karen Underwood. Great. Yeah, so I'm um, out here in Palo Alto, California, not too far from where Hugh's place of work is. And I am going to have to say, be totally honest and say I'm all in about the strong cup of coffee in the morning. I had a year or two of my life where I went without coffee and I was really proud of myself for, you know, going off the caffeine and kicking the habit. And then I went completely in the other direction and got obsessed again. Uh, and so I can't do anything in the day without making my own homebrew. Um, and so that's in my cup. And soon we'll be staring at the bottom of my cup and finishing that. Um, okay. And yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, in terms of what brought me to business school and the uh, to Stanford, I have a background working for both the public sector and the private sector in a range of nonprofits and for-profit companies in the health technology and public health space. And so the business school is a great chance for me to kind of learn the tools of business and get to apply that to the healthcare sector and to do more work in that field. Thank you very much. We're glad. I, I'm still, I still love the plaque that you picked for the opening quote. I, I thought that was very, very interesting. We don't tell people enough that it's okay to dream, do we, Karen? Mm. We just don't tell our students that. I think we need more of that. Thank you very much. Katie Morgan Booth, talk to me. Where are you? Uh, what do you do for CSR at SAP, and what's the drink you love the most? I am in San Francisco, and um, in corporate social responsibility for the North America region, I oversee um, and have really the privilege of managing all of our employee engagement opportunities as it relates to volunteering, so getting folks out into their communities, making a difference, and really educating them about some of the challenges and needs in their communities. I also work with a lot of our kindergarten to 12th grade education partners and manage quite a few really incredible education initiatives that are helping to close the gap between who's in tech and who should be in tech, which is everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my cup, what's in my cup today? So what's really in my cup is coffee. But what I wish was in my cup (laughs) was Mm -hmm. a mint julep. Um, A couple of years ago, my grandmother passed away, and at her celebration of life, we actually had a themed derby party, so we all wore big hats, Um, and now mint juleps have become one of my favorite drinks, and on a sort of gloomy day like we're having in San Francisco today, I would give anything to have a nice, delicious, sweet mint julep. Well, we will give you permission to do that after the show, but not before. Anybody who's wondering, (laughs) the mint julep is a mixed alcoholic drink or cocktail consisting primarily of bourbon, ooh, water, crushed or shaved ice, and fresh mint. The main alcohol is bourbon whiskey. The ingredients include a teaspoon of powdered sugar, two ounces of bourbon, two teaspoons of water, and four mint leaves in a highball glass. Gently muddle the mint sugar and water, fill with cracked ice, add bourbon, Stir well until the glass is well frosted and garnish with a sprig of mint. 
And uh, yes, all kinds of interesting ads here for different versions of this and different types of bourbon. And uh, liquor.com says the only mint julep recipe you'll ever need. Liquor, liquor, L-I-Q-U-O-R.com. So there's a little sidebar for you, Katie. And I am here, Hugh, I think you and I are neighbors today. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, so I'm not too far south of you probably in that general direction. It's been raining off and on, thunderstorms, lightning last night, almost torrential rain over the weekend. I don't know when it's going to stop, but my garden is saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, good, I don't have to go out and hold the hose of the sprinkler for a couple of days, which is great. They do not allow me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And the three of you don't know me, but you do now. And all I'm allowed to have is water, cool, clear water. And it's exciting because it just keeps me talking as much as I need to. Um, I probably will have a little coffee later on, but definitely no caffeine. We have another live show an hour after this one ends. So Tuesday is is start the week off with Doubleheader Game Changers Radio, and that's exciting for me. So we're talking about a very exciting topic. Social innovation is a business strategy. Yes, I said the word business and strategy together. Social innovation, social good. If your company thinks it's not the way to go, if you think, well, we'll never make any money, think again. We're speaking with three thought leaders, experts on this topic. Hugh Yoshida, if you're looking him up, Y-O-S-H-I-D-A. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Hitachi. Ventara, also joining, joining us, first-year MBA student at Stanford, GSB, Graduate School of Business, Karen Underwood, and she spells her first name K-A-R-I-N, if you're looking for her, and Katie Morgan Booth, who leads CSR for SAP North America. I'm Bonnie DeGram, and I plan to be after the break. We're going to take 90 seconds off so everybody can take a sip of something, but... Katie, no mint julep yet. You just have to wait a little longer. <laughs> so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Count 90 seconds with us. Somebody has a cough, and I'm going to cough as well. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Organizations that act with purpose can impact the greater social world. In doing so, they can also improve their bottom line, boost morale among employees, find it easier to attract top talent, and overall, make the world around them a better place. Purpose is everywhere, and we will help you align your organization to move forward with renewed purpose and vigor, enabling it to thrive in the short term and long term. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how purpose-driven organizations can lead to a better present and future for everyone. Game Changers with Purpose is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changers with Purpose. 
Exactly right. We are talking about Game Changers with Purpose. And in case you're all wondering, Game Changers with Purpose is a spinoff of our series, The Future of the Future with Game Changers, because purpose is such a hot and compelling and interesting topic that they decided to spin off into that direction. And I have to do a shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP and the wonderful people he works with who sponsor both of these series. So we're here talking about social innovation for social good as a business strategy. That's right. Business strategy, social innovation, social good, all in the same equation. Time to listen up. If you think it's not going to be profitable, you are wrong. My special panelists today are Hugh Yoshida at Hitachi Ventara, Karen Underwood at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. She's a first-year MBA, and we know she's going to do great things. And we have Katie Morgan Booth at SAP CSR. So, Hugh is going to start the, this part of the roundtable, and let me read a little bit of what Hugh sent me before the show, and then he'll run with it. He says, there is a pressing need to address social problems if we are to have a healthier, safer, and sustainable lifestyle for us and our children's children. Although many companies have a social responsibility program where they donate funds to social causes, they sponsor charity events, and they encourage employee participation in outside social initiatives, this does not go far enough. Great opener. Hugh, please tell us more. Okay. Um, you know, the, the future is, is really full of um, uh, social challenges. I mean, one of the problems is, is the uh, explosion in population. Uh, it currently, uh, they are saying that uh, the world population is 7.6 billion, um, but it's going to be 9.8 billion by 2050. Um, also, by 2050, 70% will be living in urban areas. Okay, with most rapid growth in countries with lower standards of living. And while people in countries with higher standards of living may not be, the population not, may not be growing as fast, but they will be living longer. And living longer puts a strain, of course, on, on health care. And, of course, there will be fewer non-retired workers who will need to support the elder care. So there will be challenges out of that. And also there will be many more living in megacities. That's, you know, cities with populations over 10 million. Some of the larger cities like Tokyo will be 40, 50 million by then. So urban areas <clears throat> with the right social infrastructure could become centers of innovation and productivity. However, you know, the, the, unless you solve the problems around the social infrastructure, problems like traffic congestion, sanitation, clean water, power failures, food shortages, urban sprawl and, you know, public safety. They're going to overwhelm the social services, and, and so we need to address them from a corporate standpoint. The idea of profit is important because unless we can also create profit by addressing these things, we cannot sustain our business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, that is important to do that. And, and in order to, you know, um, focus on, on profit, Social innovation has to be part of a company's corporate strategy. It's not just going to be part of the, uh, the CSR responsibility. It's not about just uh, you know, donating uh, or uh, sponsoring events. It's, it's about putting that into the, the development of your products, the, uh, the ideas for solving challenging situations. Um, it it creates a lot of room for innovation and a lot of opportunity for making the world, you know, smarter, healthier, and, and safer. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of dislocation of people uh, as they move to the cities, you know, lower-skilled people moving to cities, and a lot of refugees. And we see the waves of refugees now that, that are migrating out from, from uh, you know, uh, more oppressed or, or, or uh, lower-income uh, places. And that's going to create challenges to how to integrate them into the, uh, into the mainstream. Um, so it's not just about products and services. It's about also how do we um, democratize it, democratize it or make it more available mm-hmm. to, to everybody. Okay. And so, so solutions that we have, you know, we, we can have a solution for, say, um, uh, rapid transit, reducing carbon, reducing commute time, and making it safer for people in London. But we can't use that same solution in in a, in a country in Africa where, you know, most people don't pay fares. They they're hanging off the sides of trains. They're riding on the top of trains, and mm-hmm. you know they're putting themselves at risk. Or or even if you put in infrastructure, that infrastructure is stripped out to be sold for for scrap. It's hard to maintain those types of systems. So we have to take a different approach, you know, when we address that type of situation because these people still need to get to work. That's why they're risking their life and limbs to, to ride in this fashion. But somehow maybe we don't have an electric train. Okay, maybe we still keep a diesel train. Uh, maybe we can uh, configure the cars differently so that more people can, can be in there and we improve the scheduling. Uh, incentivize them somehow to ride inside the train rather than hanging outside. Maybe we have to uh, mm-hmm. subsidize it. So, so there, there's different ways of approaching it, but but we have to customize it to the environment that we're addressing. Okay. And in Thank there, you very, yep. okay. I think Go we ahead. can create opportunities for profit and sustainability. Yeah. In terms of our business. Thank you. And it's good to have both of those words in the same sentence, profitability, sustainability, social good, innovation. Thank you. You great introduction to this part of our roundtable. Karen Underwood at Stanford GSB, love to have you talk about what you shared. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there's two things that really stand out to me from what he was talking about. The first is that it's not just about CSR. And it's not just about one piece within the organization doing good. I think there's an opportunity for businesses to use the resources that they already have as private companies in order to generate social good for a huge number of people. And I think one example of that is last week on campus, we had the CEO of Merck, Ken Frazier, come and speak. And he Mm -hmm. talked about this um, vaccine that Merck is working on that it actually is shipping right now to West Africa, and it's the Ebola vaccine that Merck has worked on. Mm -hmm. And he said that efforts like that are not in the short term hugely profitable for Merck. It's Ebola, uh, but it's allowing them to attract the top scientific talent that will help Merck have a competitive advantage in the long run. And so I think that really shows that Merck can use kind of the production processes that they already have in, in generating new scientific innovations and then apply that to social causes and that in the long term, it comes back and it will help their bottom line. And I think the second Thanks. thing... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, oh, yeah. The second thing that Hugh mentioned that uh, really stuck with me was this idea of doing the hard work to create new markets and to spread this to a kind of a different group of people than we've ever worked with before. And so I think a lot of it is about businesses recognizing that there's these 
longer-term investments that through reaching more people and serving more people will generate long-term growth for the business and being ready to, to take on those investments. Thank you. Katie, join us. What do you think? Agree or disagree? You have any good case studies? We've got a couple of good ones here. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, and as somebody that's in the CSR world and realm, I definitely cannot echo enough that the importance of having this be a part of the core strategy and not just my job um, is really essential for businesses. And I completely echo the long-term growth. I want to take this in, a, in sort of a little bit of a different direction. Something that Hugh said originally really resonated with me, which was around creating these centers of innovation and using these new markets for that potentially. Um, you know, I think that when we look at how companies are innovating, there's a lot that can be done to really inspire the people within the company from within. So before SAP, I worked in the nonprofit sector. When I came to SAP, I was shocked (laughs) that so many folks that I had sort of judged and thought had really boring jobs felt incredibly Mm -hmm. passionate about their work Mm -hmm. and thought that they were truly making a difference every day, um, regardless of what their role within the company was. So I think as companies are doing this, it is really important that we are talking to our employee base around these social innovations and giving our employees time and space to create programs and use our products for good. Um, And I think that the more that we do that, the more that you can, you know, sort of create a center of social innovation within your company, the the more employees are going to be engaged, the better your company will perform. Um, So I wanted to sort of hone in on that piece because I think that it's something that we do talk a lot about is purpose at work, but coming from a purpose-driven sector (laughs) into Mm -hmm. a sector that was more profit-driven, I was shocked at how people were able to really find purpose. Um, And I think that leads to social innovation when they have that feeling every day when they come to work. Good feeling coming to work and having that feeling, as you say. Thank you very much, Katie. Hugh, I'm going to give you just 60 seconds to wrap this one up because I want to move on to something from Karen's notes next. So, Hugh, agree or disagree with what your co-panelists just shared? Yes, I, I certainly agree with everything that's been said by uh, Karen and Katie. Um, I think it's, you know, it's it's going to help. Businesses will profit by creating new markets, okay, new consumers, and we're going to strengthen our supply chains with access to uh, raw materials, uh, dwindling raw materials, uh, things like water, clean water, and, and you know, non-carbon or carbon uh, uh, mater- uh, energy, and, and rare earth metals that are so much a part of our new technologies. Um, and we're going to create a safer, smarter society, social environment, so we can conduct our business growth. So this will... Everything we can do towards social innovation will help corporations to grow. Thank you, Hugh. Karen Underwood, I'm looking at your statements here, and I'm going to read two of them together because I think they go very well together, and let's see what you have to say. First, you talked about a a survey in 2016 by Deloitte that indicated 44% of millennials had turned down a job because of organizational values, assuming that they didn't match theirs. And then you say... 
When businesses focus on only maximizing profits for their shareholders, they're making short-term choices that can hurt their ability to attract top-quality talent and create economic value and returns for society in the long term. Karen, put these together for me, please. Very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, when you think about my generation, and I'm right in the heart of the millennials, it's so true that that we're talking increasingly about what is the what are these businesses doing for the world? What's the role? What's the mission of the business in addition to how much money is this business generating and how fast is it growing? And I think in that in that stat, forty four percent of millennials have turned down a job because of organizational values. I think it all says it right there, and I think that, that is only increasing over time. And I can say in my own career, I've switch jobs every two years, and I know that so many of my classmates and, mm-hmm. and my peers have done the same. And so in those switches and in those um, points of decision, it's always thinking about, okay, how do I get a little bit closer to the things that I really want to work on? And I think that's when you see people and talent moving towards organizations and businesses that have that social impact baked into their business model. Thank you. Katie Morgan Booth, thoughts on what Karen just shared. What's your thought? You must work with a lot of millennials. You must see them, hear them, Gen Xers, Gen Zers, or whatever generation we're naming in the – I think we're running out of alphabet, actually. What do you see? Yeah, I um, work with all of them, all the way up to people that are retiring um, and all the way down to you know middle school students. So I think that this trend in our career, you know, as we look forward, just being sort of an upward trajectory, we all know that those days are pretty much gone. Um, I think that what's really important for companies to do and for businesses to do is to adequately arm students with the tools to be able to be more agile and to be able to, you know, I like to think of it as when we, when I talk to students, I talk a lot about them not necessarily knowing how to code in every language. You'll never know that. But if you want to be able to be competitive in this day and age, you do need to be able to speak the language of technology and have some idea, right, of how computer science and how coding and how back-end programming works, right, even if you want to go into, say, marketing, right, or HR. Um, So I think that this sort of idea that we're going to be potentially changing jobs much more frequently requires actually a different kind of education and a different kind of training. And I believe that that training is much more around instilling a sense of passion for learning um, and a passion for change, right, with students. And I think that that's not necessarily happening because a lot of parents of students that are in high school right now in college, for example, haven't had that, um, haven't had that life and had that type of career experience. So I think in the business world, we do have a lot of resources and it's really our job and our responsibility to be educating students, especially those that don't even have parents that went to college um, in how their students can best be prepared for this new kind of, you know, economy, essentially. Thank you very much. Uh, This is Hugh. I'd just like to add to... Hugh, uh, love to have you comment, please. Just comment to Karen's uh, statement. I mean, we, you know, we're a very old company, Hitachi, but we are enjoying uh, an influx of uh, young talent. Uh, you know, the I guess the the uh, millennials. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, we're in Silicon Valley and we're competing with companies for talent, like companies like Google and Facebook and all the all the big rich companies. Um, but we are able to attract young talent like uh, the millennials. 
and when I asked them why did you want to join our company, uh, they would often always often say it's our company culture. So mm-hmm. company culture and social innovation, uh, you know, is attracts many people. And, and you know, this gig economy that we're talking about, I was, you know, I would when somebody would leave Hitachi, I would feel badly because I would feel that I had had, had not uh, helped them in to realize their full potential, but. I guess nowadays I realize that really they're they're looking for their own opportunities, and it's you know I don't have to to try to guide people through twenty thirty years of a career that they're going out getting fresh ideas, and many of them are coming back as well, rotating in and out. So I think is it it is good for them. Uh, the the only thing is how do we maintain some of the things like well there's four hundred one k now, but how do we have consistency for their um, you know their retirement and things like that. They're probably not thinking about retirement right now, but you know people like me do. <laughs> you so people like people like you and me. I, I'm not planning to retire anytime soon, and I'm an almost leading edge baby boomer. I don't know what age group you're in, but I'm I marvel at the conversation about the millennials and their values. And and when I was coming up in the workforce, starting in my late 20s as a young divorced mom. Um, I just wanted a job that would excite me. I really didn't think about what the company was doing. I really, we didn't focus on that. Do you remember back in those days, you, when, right? We wanted a job that would, for many of us, excite our minds if we had that opportunity. I started out as a mainframe computer programmer (laughs) working for Lane Community College in Eugene, Oregon, running a statewide information system and creating everything literally from scratch. I inherited nothing. I, I just, coded. Uh, I was coding in COBOL on for a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, if that tells you a little bit about my background. you And, and here I am hosting business radio. How many, how many decades later we're not going to give any more away? So things have really changed. Uh, and I apologize for before. And Karen had some wonderful points there. Hugh, I really appreciate what you added. Katie, I want to get your input on Karen's topic and or what you just added. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, I I think that, you know, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Like always, I think we're all pretty aligned and feeling the same way. I think for me, I I feel like I'm a little bit in the middle of the different age groups. Um, So I'm actually really excited about working, having worked at a company for six years and excited about the future that that has. I think it's also you know, important to note that I work for a really big company and there's excitement mm-hmm. there because I can transition a lot within that company. Um, but I, I do think that I hear it every day within a huge company that this purpose narrative and, and again, you know, employees feeling connected to a greater cause and a greater good is really essential for a lot of people to come to work. And I think that there is a, there was a time when how we spent our work days was one thing and what you were passionate about and maybe the social causes you cared about were different. Um, yes. And I do think it's an exciting time that they're sort of coming back together. Yes, great point. And I want to give Karen a chance to wrap this one up since you already chimed in. Uh, we've heard from all three of you. Karen, anything you want to add to the very interesting comments from your co-panelists? Yeah, I really appreciate the comments of my co-panelists here. And I think Bonnie, you brought up the issue of retirement and how we're thinking about that. And it really gets me thinking that um, for millennials and people who are changing jobs, we are thinking about what does this look like in the long term. And I think one Mm -hmm. thing that has really changed for us is that we're not waiting till the end of our career to 
earn money and then be able to give back. And I think yes. we're thinking, what can we do right here and right now? And how do we put that as, as Katie talked about, how do we make that part of our, what we show up as every day when we show up to work? And so that, that I think is a really fundamental change that we've seen. Very interesting. And, and I would say from a, a life perspective, I'm, I'm one of those people who didn't wait to do everything I wanted to until I retire because I'm just never going to retire. So hobbies, uh, side sidelines, you know, radio, TV, all kinds of things in my starting in my 40s and 50s, not waiting to do, not waiting to move or travel or whatever. And I, I think that's something more and more people are building into their lifestyles earlier. But we have just about two minutes until we have to start our predictions round the crystal ball. And I know that Hugh is ready to pounce on that. But you, before you do that, I want to give Katie a chance to talk about one statement. I don't think we covered this yet, Katie. Very interesting. You say there are huge disconnects between what is being taught and how the education systems today support preparing youth and how companies are supporting important skill development. So can you just give me about 60 to 90 seconds, Katie, on the role of education in preparing kids for this era of social innovation, social good, and embracing the issues of the world as part of what you do now? Katie? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, when we look ahead, right, um, we know that a lot of the most in-demand occupations or specialties didn't exist five to ten years ago. Sixty-five percent of students entering primary school today will end up working in jobs that don't yet exist, <laughs> right? So how do we yep. prepare students for these kinds of roles that we can't even train them for yet because we don't know what they are? Um, I think that, you know, corporations and social innovation companies and even education institutions have to do a lot to build stronger bridges, whether that's through internal programs um, or external organizations that can come in and really help us to close that gap. Feedback that I'm hearing constantly is from educators that are saying, I'm not in tech, but I, so I don't know how to teach this, right? I don't know what to mm-hmm. do to get students prepared. So I think the more that we can build bridges formally with public schools, with schools that are serving, especially underserved youth, the better. Um, And people are hungry for that kind of engagement and that kind of mentoring. So I think it, it just goes to being creative and thinking about building those bridges in a way that's formalized for your company. Thank you very much. I think we've covered the full full life spectrum here, the full, the full life scope from schools all the way to you. You're not planning to retire, are you? Seriously, well, ever? I'm, uh, I'm not. <laughs> Thank you. I like you even more. Okay, we, we get each other. Yu Yoshida and Hitachi Ventara, I'm ready for you to do your prediction. I only can give you 60 seconds because we're getting a little tight on time because we had such a great conversation around the roundtable. So, Hugh, 60 seconds. What do you predict will be different? What will change? And the topic of social innovation as a business strategy, you can go out as far as you want. Go ahead, Hugh. Okay, well, I, I believe corporate sustainability practices, uh, you know, the CSR uh, it's going to be radically transformed and, and with new technology and, and digital change. So technology, things like big data, mobile devices, AI, and, and real-time reporting, they're going to bring, you know, a way for us to be able to measure the sustainability, monitor it, implement it, and report it. Today, there's not much much in the way of measuring these things. So we need to measure them if they're going to be part of our, our uh, corporate strategy. So I think by 2025... CSR reports that used to be 
usually were published separately or buried in an annual report, they're going to be front and center. They're going to be part of the corporate management reporting tools. Thank you very much. Good insights. Appreciate that. We got to measure stuff. We know we do. Karen Underwood, Stanford GSB. How far out do you want to predict and what do you think you're going to do with your MBA? Because we know you're on the way. Karen, 60 seconds. Go. Thanks. Um, Hugh, you totally stole my thunder. I'm all about the measurement and outcomes. And I think um, when we look at the future of this 10 years out, it's going to be moving from really business leaders using the words of using social impact as a business strategy and seeing what outcomes are actually created. And that's where people's feet are going to move to. Um, So I'm totally aligned with that. And in terms of what I plan on doing 10 years from now, um, I think there's huge and amazing innovation in the health technology space right now of insurance companies and employers that are willing to reimburse preventative care. And so I think Mm. we are moving in an incredibly exciting direction of actually making an investment in people staying outside of the hospital and never going to the hospital and investing in the right kind of uh, behavior change and support for people so that they are really living a healthier life um, all the way through their life. Thank you very much. Good to know. And Katie Morgan Booth, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. All yours. Yeah, so um, if I'm looking ahead to, say, 2025, I hope that the way that higher education looks is completely transformed, flipped on its head. Um, I think businesses need to start recognizing other types of education, other types of certifications, other types of coursework as valid entry points to their companies. Um, The days of, you know, having to be rich or having to go deeply into debt to get a higher degree, which then sort of gets you a ticket to work in the business world. I think that has to change. And there's a lot of organizations doing the work out there to get there. Um, But I think our company infrastructures really need to be challenged to learn how to accept non-traditional employer employees. Thank you very much. Can't thank the three of you enough. You, Yoshida, at Hitachi Ventara, real privilege to get to know you, you, and thanks for laughing at my funny comments. I appreciate that even more. <laughs> we get each other. Karen Underwood, we wish you all the best with your MBA. Katie Morgan Booth, glad you were able to travel down there and see what was going on, and uh, thanks for the recommendations about the Martin Luther King history. Appreciate that. Many more travels to you. And a shout-out to Brad Borkin, who put this panel together with, I think, um, other people on his team were involved with this, but we know you know who you are, and thank you so much. Great panel, great conversation on Game Changers with Purpose, and of course, a shout-out to Aaron at the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in one hour with a new episode of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. You don't want to miss that right here on the Business Channel. Wishing you all a great day, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today, just like you, you Sheeta, just like Karen Underwood, just like Katie Morgan Booth. Talk to you in an hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changers with Purpose, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.